Welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. Uh, my name is Anthony Oliver, and today we're going to talk about the challenge of creating infrastructure fit for the future. Uh, it remains clear that investment in new infrastructure is still a fundamental part of the so-called plan for growth. But critically, to be fit for the future and investable for the public and private sector, today's projects must also deliver social benefits in the form of reduced carbon emissions, greater social inclusion, employment and community cohesion. The new East-West Rail project between Oxford and Cambridge is one such project aiming to create a transport system fit for the future. So it's my great pleasure to welcome East-West Rail Chief Executive Beth West to the Infrastructure Podcast uh, to discuss the challenge of modern delivery and perhaps also to give us an update on how the project is getting on. Uh, Beth, welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. Thanks very much, Anthony. It's great to be with you today. Great. Well, let's start by finding out a bit more about uh, the East-West Rail project. Uh, Beth, um, you took over as Chief Exec almost a year ago to the day, I think, in March 2022. Uh, what have you achieved in the last 12 months? Well, the biggest thing that we've achieved is that the certainty that we're going to go ahead. When I joined last year, it was very much of a, well, um, let's see how it's going to go. The government's not quite convinced. And the really great thing we've been able to achieve over the course of this year is to go from that position to showing up in, in not only in the autumn statement in November, but in, in this year's budget as well in, in March. So the government is really committed to, to making sure that we are here to unlock growth between Oxford and Cambridge to facilitate that golden triangle. Big really full round when that appears in the in the budget, I imagine. I know it's everyone was very excited and, and there were lots of jokes about eating of hats as well that um, in terms of where we got into the priority list. Well, you know, the East West Rail programme is designed to create this link between Oxford and Cambridge, you know, with with jobs, education opportunities. And it's key to supporting national growth and building the local economy. But you say it's more than just a railway. I mean, why do you say that? Well, I, I think it probably goes back to my fundamentals of, of why I've been in, in, interested in infrastructure in the first place. It's more than a railway because it needs, it, we, we want it to be integrated into the fabric of people's lives. So when we, when we say that, it's about how do we think about it being more than just you know, a couple of stations and some track, but rather thinking much more widely about how, does, you know, how do people get from their homes to the stations, onto the railway and, and out the other side, and how we, how we do that thing of integrating into the community so that we, we are you know, being there for what they want their stations, you know, how, how they're going to travel rather than just a big piece of infrastructure. It's a, it's a big challenge when you're, you know, when, you know, when you're trying to give people you know, access to employment um, you know, and, and allowing people to have that confidence to invest. I mean, how does East West Rail actually go about creating those those vital links for people. The first thing you mentioned is about confidence, and and one of the things is that that you can see that when there is commitment to infrastructure projects, companies start to make investment decisions off the back of that off the back of that investment coming. So that's step one in terms of looking at that growth and that wider growth agenda. So. You know, what we what we've had with the budget is the ability, and what, what we'll have in May when we announce our route uh, our route alignment, is the ability for investors to start knowing what's going to happen and make make their own investment decisions, which will bring much more you know in, you know money into those into those regions, um, and and that's really the first step in, in developing that confidence. Um, the next thing is about then how do we talk to our communities 
and make sure that they are understanding how this is going to impact them and, and that we are you know, doing those connections and we're, we are working with the local communities to make sure that we're integrating rather than sort of doing something that's going to be separating them and pulling them apart. So it's, it's being really curious about what local communities want and need. Um, and I think the third thing that's really important is then thinking about the rest of the infrastructure investment that's needed in, in the region. So, you know, I know that there are power um, you know, shortages and, and water issues in Cambridge. So how do we think about um, all of the infrastructure investment more widely so that we can, can make sure that we're integrating those things and getting the best outcomes for the local communities? Well, let's build on that and perhaps get a quick update of how you're getting on. I mean, uh, connection stage one is going to see services run between Oxford and Bletchley and Milton Keynes. You know, that's hoped by 2025, I think. Yes. And you're busy upgrading the, an existing section of railway between Oxford and Bicester. Um, I mean, how are you getting on in terms of hitting that first 2025 target? So Oxford, Oxford to Bicester is running um, and there are trains going on, on that bit now. The, the Bicester to Bletchley um, part of the railway is going well we are um, laying track and um, it and so that we are still planning to up, open up in in 2025 and look are really looking forward to that and of course as you said uh, Chancellor Jeremy hunt revealed in the latest March budget that the route for uh, the final section between Bedford and Cambridge will be announced in May I mean why, why is that such a significant moment in terms of developing this rail service fit for the future so it's it's a really important um, moment for, um, for for people because one of the things that we do that we do not that well actually is we leave people in limbo for too long um, so by having our route announcement coming out in May what that's able to do is be really really clear on what our route is and how that's going to impact people directly um, so we what we'll be able to do then is have discussions with the people who are impacted much more, um, you know, much more with much more certainty so that we can take steps to um, sort of get that get people out of limbo. And if there are people who um, whose houses need to be be purchased, um, we can we can do that and we can complete those things and help them move on to the next stage of their lives. But it also then allows us to move on to the next step, which is to to develop our design and then move into our statutory consultation process that leads us to submit our development consent order. So it's a massive milestone. It's a massive, massive milestone for us. Yeah, it, it means you can then develop your team accordingly. I imagine expand your team and develop your team. Yes. So, so, so what happens next? You know, what are the big challenges on your desk right now? Is it about creating that team, or is it about um, getting that design ready? I mean, what what are the challenges? One of the things that I'm really conscious of is that we are still a pop up client. So we are a small. We, you know, we need to be by our very nature small and nimble, nimble, and we are trying to organize ourselves that way. We're also setting ourselves up to be working cross cross functionally at the very outset, so that we can make sure that we we iterate when it's cheap. Is what I keep saying is that there are lots of issues that we need to think about, and the best time to think about those things is at the outset before we start doing the the big work and spending the big money, because that's when we we're going to minimize the risk that we're going to be making the best, the hopefully the right decisions, and making sure that those decisions are again trying to meet our outcomes, and we don't we don't forget about something. So. Dealing with environmental issues and, and sustainability issues and thinking about biodiversity net gain are all things we should be doing not right ne- right now. So we're not adding it on sometime at the outset because that's when it often leads to scope change, rework, additional costs and things like that. If we do it at the beginning with these cross-functional teams, I think we stand a better chance of getting the scope right in the long run. So I'm, uh, you know, we're in the process of developing the teams to do that. 
but recognizing that we also have a life cycle as a pop-up client and we we you know we will need different people with different skills as we go through that and so we're, we're trying to build a team that's going to be pretty agile and nimble and that we're not you know trying to set up a behemoth organization for all eternity but rather have people in place at the right time in the right roles right the other thing then is cracking on with this design. Um, you know, it's really important that we, we, when we go for our statutory consultation next year, we have something that's robust and we can have a good conversation with our, with our communities. And then the other thing is once we, once we um, go and make our root announcement, we're going to do a lot of work with our communities. So it's, it's again, getting, the, getting our teams ready to talk and talk and talk and have lots of cups of tea with people so we can make sure we're building those relationships in a positive way. Well, we'll talk a bit more about uh, your role as a client and drinking tea in a moment. Let's talk a bit more about you for the moment, though. Um, I mean, you're originally, as your, as, your, as your accent gives away, you're originally from the US, studied in Washington before starting a career in finance. Um, I mean, how did you become immersed in infrastructure? So it, it actually started when I was, um, was I, when I was doing my master's. So my first year I, I spent in Bologna, um, and I spent a lot of time studying the EU and, um, and, and how the EU and the integrated economies and the growth, you know, the, the positive development of, of France and German economies, economies in particular stopped them from shooting each other. Um, which is, a, you know, it, which is an inherent good thing um, that France and Germany don't shoot at each other anymore. Um, I, I it's then a great this, outcome. It's a very good outcome. Um, and so I spent the summer after Bologna um, in Croatia when the war in the former Yugoslavia was going on. And you know, when when I looked at what was going on, and I realized that the re- a lot of the reason that people were fighting is that that you know, essentially people had devolved down into tribes and were fighting over power and stuff. Um, and so you, uh, when combining a, why are people shooting each other with how did this, how do we stop people from shooting each other, um, led me to want to, want to be involved in economic development. And I wanted to be involved in economic development without imposing any cultural values. And infrastructure is an amazing way to help economies develop because everybody needs infrastructure. There, there are no cultural values coming along with wanting to have roads and clean water and telecommunications and power. You know, that, that is, that right, is yeah, stuff yeah. that is good and that every economy needs to have. And so that's how I got involved in project finance, which is, which, um, was the banking work that I did is that, you know, it, it was a private sector way to finance infrastructure. Um, and it sort of led to, to, you know, starting, I started working in power and oil and gas and a bit of telecoms and then moved across to transport when I joined, um, transport for London after I moved to London. Okay. And I said you've been, um, you've been chief exec at East West Rail since, uh, for the last year now. Before that, you were at contractor. Balfour BT and then uh, developer Landsec. Um, and you were commercial director during the early days of HS2, uh, I think, where you formed the procurement strategy. Um, and of course, as you say, you also spent uh, nearly nine years, I think, at Transport for London, uh, yes. driving their commercial strategy. I mean, what attracted you to this particular uh, rail project to jump back into the client side and, and get stuck into another rail project? Well, I think it. it- it's, it's all the bones of, of all the stuff I care about, really. You know, it's about um, trying to deliver a railway differently, but also about what is infrastructure here to do. And and I think that East West Rail. Right, yeah, so it's that beyond. It's that beyond the railway thing. Absolutely. And and having having worked on the property development side as well, it was an, you know really an ability to think about sort of the railway and how it how transformational infrastructure really impacts development and how do we stitch these things together. And that was. That was a really exciting bit about it is the opportunity to stitch the railway into in, into water development. I mean, you talk about being a pop-up client. I mean, you've worked on the client side. Um, yes. I mean, what have you learned about being a good client? 
Well, I think being a good client is knowing what you're doing, what you're not doing in the first instance is, you know, how, how broad is your remit and, and understanding that. Um, and, and then I think that it's a, you know, for me, it's always been about listening because we can't deliver anything without our supply chain and having good relationships with our supply chain is going to be really, really important. Um, as well as good relationships with the wider rail ecosystem. But to, to be that good client, you have to be making sure your organization as well is going to match your procurement strategy. And I think that that's one of the biggest things I've learned is that those things have to absolutely marry up. I, I, I always say you can do anything, you know, you can have any structure you want, as, but as long as both sides match and you're, and everybody is committed to those both sides, is that's where you're going to find success. If you've got a mismatch, that's when it starts to become problematic. And it's, I was fascinating that, um, uh, you know, you you talk about the, you know, the the role of infrastructure to bring communities together, but of course, infrastructure, yeah, it 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 is a common denominator, but it's also hugely political. You know, I imagine that you know the number of local authorities you have, a uh, number of cities, local enterprise partnerships. Um, I mean, East West Rail touches huge numbers of of political environments. There, um, you must spend a great deal of time managing politics i mean how do you approach this uh, what are your time what are your time spending I, mean, I know you worked in the u.s house of representatives you know what, what did that teach you about politicians and dealing with politicians well i think i think the biggest thing is infrastructure should absolutely be non-political you know it's it, it, it but if it you is think political about, though, but it, it, it is can political. be political but what you want to do and i think that the key thing is is that um, when if you've got a bipartisan or you know in other in other countries where you've got coalition more coalition governments you know what you want to have is bipartisan support for what you're doing you know if you have a project that is so political that that an election cycle is going to kill it if if the um, governing party changes you do really have a problem because infrastructure projects tend to last longer than any one any one parliament any one you know any one congress in, in the U S so you know you have you know, a lot of things that we have to do is building that support across the political spectrum. And what's really interesting from an East West Rail perspective is, is all of our local authorities are completely across the political spectrum. So, you know, that's a great, that bit of great news for us is that we've got support from the local authorities um, that, you know, that, that cover all the parties, which is really, really great because I think it's important that we've got that support and it's a grassroots support, not from, not, not you know, it's, we've got the, the national support, but also the grassroots support across the political spectrum. But, you know, obviously we have to keep having those conversations and keep, you know, I, I keep talking about um, filling the bank of goodwill. And, you know, it, it's not a we get the sign off and that's fine. We have to keep having conversations and demonstrating that this is going to be value for money and a, and a thing that that you know, and making sure that it's what communities want. Many cups of tea. You are drinking tea with many, many cups of tea. <laughs> well, of course, I mean, it was International Women's Day last month. I mean, what has been your secret to success? You know, do you consider yourself to be a role model? I mean, I think that I, I have to consider myself a role model and, I, you know, I'm, I'm mindful of that as well as I think people who are in the public eye are, should be mindful of the fact that what they do and say will have um, have an impact. Um, I sometimes joke that I think I might have succeeded despite myself rather than, um, you know, <laughs> um, and because I, I think also be with my accent and being a woman in this environment, I feel like my head's always above the parapet. And so I want my head, my head above the parapet for the right reasons. And in a really, really positive way so that I'm able to um, demonstrate that I'm adding value and that I am, you know, in making sure that I'm working hard and I'm, I'm um, able to, you know, make things happen. So I've been just very conscious that 
um, my visibility makes me, um, you know, I need to be doing what I, what I can to be really positive and being a role model to other people. So how do you let off steam when you're not busy working at uh, East West Rail? Um, there's a lot of time I spend with my family and driving my children around to various sporting activities, which I'm not sure is quite letting off steam. Um, but I, you know, I try to see very friends necessary. and do exercise and very necessary. Um, and, you know, I think that what, what's been great over the past few years, because my boys are now 14 and 12 and we've got really stuck in with our, um, our local sports club. And it's taught me a load of lessons as well about leadership, um, actually, because, setting a tone for how people behave um, will, will have really positive impacts. And, and my younger son's cricket um, you know, team, we have, um, you know, what's happened is that we have a load of parents who started to volunteer. And then now that's just what everybody does. You know, we, we have probably the best, most, um, you know, sort of active group of parents across the club because that's just what's happened. And the boys are absolutely delightful. So there's a there's a whole leadership thing that I've learned from watching these now twelve year olds behave and the and their parents about how we set a tone and it it it's been really really fantastic. But it's also it's a it's a great place to just hang out with a bunch of you know people in the same state of life and and for us to let us yeah, in yeah. as well. What's interesting it was something which, which Richard Robinson uh, mentioned about uh, you know the. Um, uh, in, in, in one of the previous podcasts around uh, you know, you know, the way that supporting people from the sideline is it's a, it's a, a very in, 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 interesting and important thing, but do it in the right way. So, um. Absolutely. And it, it is about, you know, the, you know, the, the shadow that you cast and, um, and, and what's, what, what are the messages you're sending, you know, actively or, or subconsciously? And how does, that, how does that play into how everybody else behaves? It's, it's really interesting to just observe it from, a, from that perspective as well. Okay, well, we're talking today about uh, creating infrastructure fit for the future. Um, how would you describe what you are doing that's different uh, at East West Rail to make sure that you are fit for the future? Um, one of the really big things is this whole um, working cross-functionally in project teams. We're trying to make sure that we are um, lean, as lean as possible, you know, not, not so brutal that we, we um, you know, we're burning people out, but rather that we're making sure that we are doing what we need to do to get to our outcomes. The, the other thing is that, um, you know, it, in, in terms of trying to get that right, we, we will sometimes fail and that's okay. And um, we need to make sure that when we do fail, that, that we reward people for trying because, you know, if you, if you don't try, you're not going to be able to do things that are different, but that we're also at a space that we're able to, you know, so repair anything that's, you know, that's gone wrong. So, um, and I think it's again, trying to get into a culture where, um, people feel confident trying new things because what we put around them is the support that if they do fail, that they they feel still loved and they get a, you know they get a bit of a cuddle rather than getting shouted at, right, yeah. and that we can um, obviously do that quickly. Um, and, you know, so one of our one of our behaviors is to learn quickly um, so that we we don't sort of keep you know repeating you know something that has gone wrong. One of the things which. Um uh, that is, is very important, I suppose, in this project is, and you, know, you describe it as being socially inclusive. I mean, how do you, and you talk also about having lots of cups of tea, um, but how do you ensure that you get the views and the, the voices from everybody in that society rather than just the ones that shout loud? Um, it's a really, really good question because I think what happens often is that what people do is they, they talk to organised groups um, and organized groups tend to be um, self-selecting um, and they represent a, a viewpoint. 
And the big thing is then how do you go beyond the organized groups and make sure that you're talking to a wider community? So that is going to be um, trying to find ways to make sure we're inviting people to events um, and that we we're able to communicate that m- more widely and find different ways, you know, because now we've got 14 different ways that we can actually disseminate information rather than just an advert in the local newspaper. So we have to make sure that we are we, we are finding all the ways that people are are engaging um, and having those 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 multimodal approaches for, for how we engage so that we can get beyond just that the, those self-selecting organized groups, um, which is a bit more effort. You know, it's 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 we have to try harder to make sure we're tapping right. into those groups. That's knocking on doors. It's knocking on doors as well as just sending emails. Yes. And it's it's um, fi- again, it's it's ta- it's working with our local authority you know, partners to say, well, how do you how does your community how does your community organize? Um, it's not ignoring what what exists in the communities, but trying to go along with it um, to make sure that we're tapping into all the knowledge that we've got um, more widely. Let's talk a little bit, a bit about, um, I suppose, what people actually are wanting and doing in their lives now, because of course, you know, investing in rail is expensive, but it of is. course, COVID has also changed the way that we work, and you know, working from home. Um, hybrid working patterns are now the norm. I mean, do you think that that's having an impact on the kind of services that you're looking to to provide? I I mean, I think it it, it does. It can't not. But I think this goes into how do we make it really easy for people to travel? Um, I I, um, have generally, I I have a strop about um, ticketing generally on, on the national network. So if you're an infrequent traveler and it's too difficult to buy a ticket, are you going to get on a train? I, I mean, I don't, I don't think you are. And so it's sort of how do we, how, you know, for me, it's a big question about our design and how are we designed for the customer and thinking about that in, you know, now and what do we think the future customers are going to look like? Because we have to make it super easy for people to want to get on the train. And, and I you know, can't come back to this enough. If we want people to have, you know, bums on seats on trains, we have to make it easy. Which means when you're designing your digital strategy, uh, Right now, it is not just about making sure that you're um, embracing digital digital technology in the design and the construction. It's about the operation. It's about how people interact with your railway in the future. Absolutely, and, and I think that's probably the most important thing. And the, the, we we start with operations and maintenance and asset management, and we work our way back then to what does that mean for construction? Because if we're not thinking about the you know the end, what the end is going to look like, we're probably not going to get the construction right and what we're going to build. So it's that whole thing about, you know, we don't need to know everything right now, but we certainly have to have an idea. And it's, we you know, knowing how all those different systems are going to interface with each other is really, really important because, you know, as you know, railways are all about uh, interfaces. And, um, and and so knowing how all those interfaces work is is very important, but we have to be designing this so that, that operations and maintenance actually, you know, talk to each other. And that we're, you know, if there is something that goes wrong, we have the most, the, the least impact on our customers as possible. Which is an important, maybe it's an important thing, just to finish off with your advice, because I suppose infrastructure professionals, they can get bogged down in simply building things as opposed to actually having an eye on what they're actually trying to get as an outcome. Um, and what's your advice to young infrastructure professionals, you know, desperate to ensure that their projects really work for people? I mean, I think that anybody who wants to go into infrastructure has to look at, you know, why are you doing it? You know, why why do you want to build it? Why is any piece of infrastructure going to be built? What is the reason behind it? So, you know, what's the problem that we are you're trying to solve? And then what, what are your potential solutions to, to that? So I think that, you know, if young people want to be, be involved in infrastructure, they do need to really understand who is going to be using it and, and what, so why is anything going to get built? Um 
and and I think in terms of getting ideas across to people to me and people like me, um, you know, I'm I have a very open door. Um, I'm very interested in having conversations. We're talking about having a hackathon with our supply chain later this year, um, and sort of not normal supply chain engagement, but how do we actually bring ideas to the mix? And I expect that we'll be doing lots of those kinds of events in future. Beth. That sounds like a great idea. If, if everyone's got some ideas about how to, how to make uh, the, the, the real project even better, then just get hold of you, fire those ideas into you, and uh, let's see what happens. Beth, thanks so much for joining me today on the Infrastructure Podcast. That's all we've got time for, but uh, it's been great to chat to you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Um, as I say, that's all we've got time for today on the Infrastructure Podcast, but we have many more guests to talk to as we continue to probe the big issues that are faced across the sector. If you haven't done so already, do check out the new Infrastructure Podcast website. That's www.infrastructure-podcast.com, where you'll find background information and all the latest podcasts to listen to and to share with your friends and colleagues. So thanks very much for joining us again today. Thanks to Beth. And I look forward to seeing you again very soon.